your tired and bring your shame Bring your guilt and bring your pain Don't you know that's not your name You will always be much more to me Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right But that's alright Cause I hear a voice and it calls me every day When others say I'll never be enough And greater is the one living inside of me Than he who is living in the world In the world In the world And greater is the one living inside of me Than he who is living in the world Bring your doubts and bring your fears Bring your hurt and bring your tears There'll be no condemnation here You are holy, righteous, and redeemed And every time I fall There'll be those who will call me a mistake Well, that's okay Cause I
Guess who? It's me again. It's five o'clock. Do you care what the mainstream media says? What's up, family out there? You're listening. Coming to you live from behind enemy lines of Chirac, Illinois. How you guys doing out there today? Hope all is well. Happy Monday, the 13th of February. It's great to see you guys all working your way in here today. I appreciate you all. Lots to talk about today. Lots to get to. There's an election hearing going on right now, and I'm hoping that I can still get some video from this. It's live now, so I don't know how that's going to work out. We'll see. It's just going to have to wing that see how it goes. But if not, I got lots of other stuff to talk about. A, a series of, of disasters happening Seems like daily now. Uh, I think it's clear the attack on America is for real. Uh, so we'll talk about uh, the different train disasters that are going on out there for sure. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Jesus uh Super Bowl commercials, a couple of really good articles to discuss that from a different perspective, I think would be interesting to get to. Definitely got to talk about that. There is updates on the Proud Boys case. Finally, we get some truth out on that. And uh, some people have an e-crow about the realities of what happened with the Proud Boys. So that's out there today. Uh, smart devices, um, protests around the world. Uh, what else do I got here? Just some random stuff from all over the place. So that's the plan for today. Do me a favor, though, when you get time. Bookmark the website. I appreciate you all very much for um, spreading the word. If you can, uh, drop the link of your favorite social media platform and let everybody know that we're live right now. I appreciate you all. Uh, Matt, thank you for um, for doing what you can to help me out, bro. <laughs> it's um, the, the competition has gotten stiff at this time slot, bro, and it's uh, <laughs> it's making it tough. But um, I appreciate all you do to... Uh, to, to change the platform, to upgrade the platform, to help all streamers out and everything like that, bro. You're an amazing patriot. Thank you. Bookmark the website when you get time, uncensoredave.com. You can find the podcast, Podbean, iHeart, Apple, Google, Spotify. Pick one, anyone. Just search Uncensored Abe. You can find the Telegram, True Social, Twitter, Gab links, as well as Facebook at the very top of the website right there, as well as you can watch the show directly from the website, learn a little bit about me, get yourself some merchandise, and uh, find the links to your favorite platforms. 5 Eastern, 4 Central, Monday through Friday, Foxhole, DLive, Twitch, Rumble, CloudHub, and Tiger Network, where you can find those live streams. Appreciate you all for uh, sharing the streams out there and letting everybody know that we're live. If you want to help me keep the lights on, I can really use your help. Cash that PayPal, Patreon, and buy me a coffee or how you can do that. Thank you all for your love, support, and prayers. I appreciate you all very much. You can also go to MyPillow.com backslash Abe, and they have the new MyPillow 2.0s out right now. Buy one, get one free. You can help support the platform, help support Mike Lindell and his election integrity efforts, and get yourself some cool stuff at the same time. So we appreciate you all that have been uh, pretty much weekly uh, getting something from over there from MyPillow.com. I appreciate you all very much. Much love and God bless you all. 
Buy me coffees. Thank you all very much. Don't want to watch Fight Club anymore. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> the email address, link trees, and the PO box. Very bottom of the website. All of my information on the website. Bookmark it, and then you'll be able to find whatever you need if you need to get a hold of me. I appreciate you all very much. Thanks for being here today. Tiger Network Tour 3. Thank you. Thanks for everyone over there for checking out the streams whenever you guys get time. Lots of people checking them out uh, after the fact. And I want to thank Jim very much for uh, his support and love and prayers. I saw that he uh, uh, was talking about um, the new AI um, through Acun, uh, AI learning through Acun, which is pretty interesting, Jim. Um, I uh, wanted to do a little bit more dig on that, but it's hard to kind of see from that video that you play what 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 was really doing. But um, I hear you wanted to. I, we've been trying to get together for a long time with. Um, with your guys' show, man, and it's the timing has just been tough. But I appreciate you all. Uh, thanks for thinking of me, and thanks for the thoughts, loves, and prayers. Uh, love you guys back, man. Rumble crowd's in the house today. Thank you all for being here. Do me a favor, Rumble. Hit that thumbs up button for me, please. I, I'd appreciate you all if you could do that. Thanks for lurking and listening and being here every day. I appreciate you all very much. Twitch crowd's in the house as well, getting their, getting their uh, butts in here as well. Thanks, Chris and Polidius, for dropping all the links out there. I appreciate you all very much. Lives there, sort of. Oh, hey, hey, Steely Dan, how are you? Thanks for being here today. I appreciate you very much for being there on D Live. Um, D Live just has been killing me, man. So I've been pushing everybody over to the foxhole.app, pill.net. Uh, it's a great platform, and if you haven't checked it out, uh, you should. Pill.net, a pretty awesome platform. But uh, I understand that there's a lot of people that are still over there on D Live, and uh, you know, so it's uh, it's it's all good. I get it. And then the pill crowds working their way here today as well. Thank you all for being here. Tori is first in the house as well as Matt and who cares as well as keep true. Um, thanks for being here today, guys. Let me got, let me just hop straight to it. There's uh, some interesting stuff happening right now. Um, and I was going to go live early, but, uh, yes, life. Um, this gateway pundit article from Jordan, uh, Conradson about, uh, an hour ago, um, Arizona Senate Elections Committee to hear elections mechanics part three investigation into voting hacking, voting machine hacking with Clint Curtis vote on a bill to ban non-American hackable voting machines is happening in Arizona right now. Um, and I tried to pause this hoping that I could pick it up from this spot, but I don't think that's going to work, but we're going to try it. So let's see what this, what happens here. And there is there Arizona Senate elections committee hearing on hackable voting machines. Is it going to play? That's the question. That, of course, is always the fun. <sighs> now, nothing ever wants to work anymore. I did update, update my stream settings to 5 kilobytes, 5,000 kilobytes per second, Matt. I think that might have been my problem when OBS updated on me. I, you're just not going to cooperate, huh? Of course not. Why would it, why would it cooperate? There we go. Department of Homeland Security has designated uh, elections as critical infrastructure. To me, this is a national security issue because if we can have foreign actors being involved in the manufacturing or even manipulating the system, uh, the voting machines systems in, in Arizona contain components that are manufactured, assembled, or tested in foreign nations such as China, which pose a direct threat to the United States, including the uh, unsecured components of computerized devices that can be 
and have been used to infiltrate, ex infiltrate, manipulate data as discussed in that source document. Also, uh, other source documents uh, inside the, the biggest number of voting machines, it was actually uh, highlighted in, on NBC News on December 19th, 2019. Breaches of computerized devices uh, pose a threat um, to national security, to, to include the Department of Defense, general contractors, agencies, and even for Fortune uh, 100 companies. Uh, there's another source document uh, in, the Bloom in Bloomberg, dated October 4th, 2018, uh, called The Big Hack, How China Used a Tiny Chip to Infiltrate U.S. Companies. Uh, we just saw a hearing where Senator Ron um, Wyden had testified, but he also said 53% of American voters use voting machines that researchers have found have serious security flaws, including backdoor. Um, but the, Secretary, the Tennessee Secretary of State in 2021 uh, reported to the EAC an anomaly that was observed during a municipal election in Williams, Williamson County, Tennessee, which used Dominion tabulators for municipal elections. That anomaly caused the scan that anomaly caused the scanners to mislabel valid ballots as provisional and therefore did not include these ballots in the poll reports. Now, if we remember in the last couple of presentations, just because somebody submits a, a provisional ballot doesn't necessarily mean that that was the actual ballot that got counted. It could have been a mail-in ballot that got sent in. And so you don't really know which one got counted at all. It just shows that the person showed up to vote. So, but what's really striking is when the EAC and CISA both agree that we have serious problems and flaws with the software. Um, the, the election systems and software were false reporting through, through not just Dominion, but the EES and S, which is the election systems and software, uh, falsely denied selling voting machines with remote access software, uh, a fact that uh, the ES and S later admitted was true in a letter to uh, Senator Wyden, Democrat of Oregon. Uh, of course, there's another report by Dr. Halderman, who uh, was commissioned by the Democrats to do a Do you think anything's going to work? No. Why would, <laughs> why would such an important hearing just uh, work smoothly? Can't have that. Come on. In Arizona have been exploited through these known vulnerabilities or other vulnerabilities. Well, I will stipulate to the fact that when we did the audit, the Secretary of State blocked uh, access to us having the source code so we could actually have verified that the machines were operating properly. And even an update during, after an election is illegal because everything at the election is supposed to be maintained and secure for at least 22 months federal, 24 months for uh, our state law. Even in Cochise County when the Board of Supervisors decided that they wanted to do a 100% hand count audit, or not an audit, 100% uh, hand count of all their ballots, the Secretary of State's office actually interfered, 
uh, and threatened the county uh, that they, they were possibly violating the law. But then when they were showed that the, they were not violating the law, um, all of a sudden, uh, when they voted, they voted to go ahead and they were going to do the, their hand count in prescribed by statute. Then all of a sudden, Cochise County gets sued by Mark Elias to tie them up in the court to stop them from doing that hand count because the statute actually says that if a county is going to do 100% uh, hand count of their, all their precincts, the Secretary of State shall provide the source codes to a special master that shall be appointed by the court and shall, those, those, uh, and, and the, the special master and the results of that, that investigation uh, shall be turned over to the court, be made public, but to the court. So, you know, through lawfare, the county was prevented from doing their prescribed duties to make sure that their, their election was certifiable and when they would do the canvas. So they tied them up in court so they couldn't even proceed with their, uh, their duties to verify canvas and certify the election. So they were under threat because the deadline was coming up and they were tied up in court so they couldn't even proceed to get the source codes because uh, Mark Elias sued the county and therefore the county had to certify their election under, under duress because they were threatened with a felony. So it is, it is, we need to finally fix that. If we have critical infrastructure that's being paid for by the, by the taxpayers of Arizona and no elected body has any oversight whatsoever to verify that the taxpayers are getting what they're paid for, that's an atrocity. It's a slap in the face to the citizens of Arizona, matter of fact, the entire American public, because elections can have very strong uh, results that affect the entire nation. What's most importantly, this is a national security issue that if we have our election systems that's deemed by Homeland Security as, once again, critical infrastructure, if we have no oversight whatsoever, that's a problem, and therefore we need to fix it. I think we're duty and honor bound to do that. Madam Chair. So, Madam Chair, I hope uh, everybody can please uh, see fit to vote yes, pass my bill out of committee. Madam Chair. Go ahead, Senator Hernandez. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, just a quick question. Um, Senator Borelli, I mean, I would have loved to got gotten this uh, exhibits a lot sooner to have proper time to review yes. it, but um, in the conclusion of the U.S. Elections Assistant Commission piece, um, it does say at the bottom, the analysis and testing of the ECOs has demonstrated that the anomaly was successfully fixed. So would that apply to the case that you're, they're referencing um, in Williamson County, Tennessee, and to all elections, or I guess I'm looking for more clarification on how... I'm sorry, could you explain it? Yeah, no, no problem. Um, in the EC, uh, in the EAC, handout and the con conclusion of the formal investigation in the last paragraph it says the analysis and testing of the ECOs has demonstrated that the anomaly was successfully fixed so and this is in relation to the case that you brought that you mentioned from Williamson, Williamson County Tennessee um, so I guess if they're saying that the anomaly was successfully fixed what I'm looking for a clarification here go ahead Madam Chair and, and Senator Fernandez there's no way, there's no way to prove that. 
that's the point, that because you need the source codes and the source codes are heavily guarded. As a matter of fact, in Arizona, the Secretary of State sits on the source codes. But going back to when we were doing the audit, we subpoenaed the source codes from the third-party vendor that, that Maricopa County has you know, hired to do this. And their attorney refused to give it to us because they said it was critical infrastructure and they couldn't give it to us. Once again, you have the company that refuses to have any kind of oversight. Once again, it's critical infrastructure. Taxpayers are paying for it. But yet there's no way for us to prove that what they're actually providing in accordance with the contract is true and valid and it's operating properly. So when we keep running into block walls on trying to get to the bottom of something, what, what we're saying is here, yeah, there's a black box that nobody can look into. Madam Chair. Go ahead. Just following up on that, Senator Rowley, I think um, it makes sense. So the, the problem you identified was that you reached out and asked for the specific source codes and they may have properly said this is important critical infrastructure. So how are we, I mean, are we, we're just trying to now make this critical infrastructure source code things that we know should be kept very closely available to any party that is requesting, if it's a, a county board of supervisors, a, a, a member of the legislature, a county recorder. I mean, how broad, how, how much are we going to be opening this kind of information up to some inform so to uh, components of voting systems that are already required to be properly certified and uh, uh, go through the process adopt standards for you know various certification uh, for all of these machines and devices tested and approved by laboratories that have been accredited pursuant to the Help America Vote Act. So there's like, there's a whole number of processes and, and uh, uh, systems in place to certify these machines and equipment uh, by the Voting System Test Laboratory, the Election Assistance Commission, Secretary of State. Um, so it seems like there is a process in place. So, so are we just asking now to open that door up to any number of people? Senator Borelli. Yes, thank you, Madam Chair and uh, Senator Sunderation. And that seems, that, seems, that seems to be the problem because during the 2020 election, the machines were not even certified prior to the election. In fact, this certification by, ES, by uh, the EAC, uh, they never renewed those uh, certifications till after the 2020 election and therefore they were not certified prior to so once again there's no oversight and yes I'm giving I'm saying here that county officials should be able to have access to those uh, source codes so that way they can check to make sure that everything is running properly we delegate the authority to the counties to run the election we don't have one we don't have one state election we have 15 county elections and there needs to have that oversight on that local level to make it make sure that things are operating properly, especially when they're using taxpayer dollars to do so. Madam Chair, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, Just to, re to respond, Madam Chair, Senator Borrelia, it's our understanding that, um, that those, th those certifications were in place, did occur before the 2020 election, just to no, clear that up. They were not, thank you. Senator Mendez. Madam Chair, oh, well, to, I have to that point, and then I have some questions for Braley, but to, to that point, I, I have it, uh, I can share the, the press release with you, but the, the EAC has said everything you said right now was false. Oh. Yeah, so, I mean, I can share that with you. 
uh, it's not too big of a document, but. What document, what document Senator Mendez? Dated when and from whom? The, the, EA, the U.S. Elections Assistant Commission. Uh, I will forward it to you, but. Uh, what, what is in 20 words or less its um, premise? That the accusation that Borelli said was false. Can you read uh, 20 words or less that uh, negates what Senator Borelli said? I uh, don't know how to read because I got a mask on and I can't really breathe. And so, you know, there's limited oxygen going to my brain. And so I'm already kind of The analysis stupid. and testing of the engineering change orders has demonstrated that the anomaly, we, we already, we've already read this. So, we're, I mean, we're telling you that what you're saying is false. Uh, when was that dated? And read that in its entirety, please. Even though the EAC failed to reissue the certification for Pro-VNV's audit was completed in 2018 and again in early 2021 as the scheduled audit uh, was postponed, despite the challenges outlined above and throughout this period, the, the, Can you the system, the Pro-VNV and the SLI compliance remain in good standing with the requirements of our program and retained their accredita accreditation. Is that logic and accuracy testing, or what kind of testing accreditation does that refer to? I don't know. Maybe we could do with a presentation from this group instead of the other ones that we've been getting. And this is the EAC saying the EAC saying the labs were certified. Well, the word certified has been learned to be a specious term in the least and uh we will proceed i have further questions that are unrelated to this if i i'm i'm sure what we need to do <laughs> is uh proceed along these bases and uh mr vice chair we have several speakers logged in as yes but again audience we're going to limit that to three yeses and three noes, and each testifier to 90 seconds. Madam Chair, <coughs> requesting to speak against the bill are five, and then one that it did not indicate how they, whether they support or oppose. But against the bill requesting to speak is uh, Jen Marson, representing the Arizona Association of Counties, Ben Scheel, representing uh, Opportunity Arizona, and three individuals representing themselves, Peggy Glenn, Mary Ziola, Taylor Nelson, and Leslie Shepard. It's unclear as to whether it's support. So I see Miss uh, Marson here. I don't know if, it, is Ben Scheel here? There's Ben, yeah. So uh, is Peggy, Mary, or Taylor? Peggy Glenn, Mary Ziola? Okay. Okay, so we have. Okay. Uh we're, we're going to have to limit it to three. So uh, all of you stand up, please. There are one, two, three, four, five, six. If there are other bills you're willing to uh, testify for in lieu of this one, could you sit down? Well, these are for and against, though. Oh, affirmative. These are all against. Are these all against? Okay, no. will okay. the against stand up, please? Okay, among you four, would one of you uh, feel okay sitting down? She's four. Are you four? 
Okay, so we have three present who are against. Am I right? Madam, you can sit down. You're, you're uh, on the other uh, side opposite. Okay, so among you three, go ahead, Mr. Vice Chair. Jen Marson. You have 90 seconds. Ready, ready, go. Thank you, Madam Chair. Members, for the record, Jen Marson with the Association of Counties here in respectful opposition at this time. It's our belief that our voting equipment is air-gapped. So when we look at the cybersecurity requirements from the Department of Defense, which are specifically written for wired things, um, we believe that those parameters would not apply. So it is an interesting standard to set. We certainly believe in security and all of that, but we just don't know because of the way that the DOD standards are written and the way our technology exists if that would be applicable. All of the equipment assembled in the US, all of our tabulation equipment is assembled in the United States already. But to have it all be manufactured here, there currently does not exist a supply chain that can accomplish that. Whether you're talking about electronics or plastic or whatever other thing might be part of any of that equipment, that is not all available to get here in the United States. So we're concerned that if this bill were to be signed as is, there's no way we would be able to comply. Um, as part of the LNA, I do want to point out that there is a hash code verification process that confirms the, that the installed software on the machines is in compliance with the software code that is on file with the Secretary of State's office and with the EAC. And with that, I am happy to try and answer some questions. Any questions? Go ahead, Senator thank, Mendez. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you, Ms. Marson. Uh, thank you for uh, t touching on the topics of the those U.S. Department of Defense uh, standards. I, I, I was wondering how they apply to us at all. So that's good to know. Uh, and I, you answered my question about the, could we even get this stuff to us if we needed it? So it definitely seems like we're going in a lot of weird places with this. But my, my question that you might be able to answer is, don't know, but um, what would be, do you have an opinion, I guess, on how or why the Auditor General was selected to, uh, to house the source code? And could you speak on to whether or not- all right. Um, the part that I really wanted you guys to see, the part that's worth your time to watch other than these meatheads, is the testimony from Clint Curtis. And you may ask, who the hell is Clint Curtis? Well, he wrote a book <clears throat> about 13 years ago called Murders, Spies, and Voting Lies. The Clint Curtis story is an incredible documentary which tells the story of a computer programmer who was contracted by a private company with ties to convicted Chinese spies to write a program that could be used to rig elections. What follows is breaking a massive conspiracy in which there will be hard evidence of manipulation via, via electronic voting machines. This is a 10 minute summary of that. And this is pretty much what he testified to that the, that the Bush election in Ohio was absolutely rigged by this same type of uh, hacking slash manipulation of the code. So let's watch this it's about nine and a half minutes, and this will get you a better idea of what the testimony was today. And then if these guys are still running their miles, we'll check in. Uh, but before I do that, I do want to show you, uh, this is the summary of the hearing today in Arizona. Call to order, roll call, uh, presentation, electronic mechanics, part three with Clint Curtis, and then a consideration of the bills. The summary of the bills are all right here. You can see them all, about 10 different bills, uh, images, voter list records, um, Cast vote record, public records, um, ballot poll, poll books, instructions on tabulating, uh, office vacancy, 
um, ballot tabulation, election day identification, ballot processing. So they have about 10 different bills about polling places, early ballots on on-site tabulation requirements and observers, and then presidential electors, constitutional appointments, uh, a whole series of bills that Arizona's going to be working on today. And they're not the only one, as you guys have heard, that have been working very hard to um, to shore up their state's election disasters that's happening out there. But this is really pretty important. I don't know. I'm not sure how many of you guys have heard about this before. I did, I've never heard of this guy. Uh, so let's see what this is about. This is kind of a summary of the book from the 20, 2000 election. He... Um he has connections to NASA. His wife works there. So you don't know if Feeney was instrumental in helping them get that particular contract. Uh, okay, you said that they were downloading stuff from NASA software? Yang Enterprises was bringing gigabytes of databases from NASA, and then they were handing it over to Henry Nee. Who is Henry Nee? Henry Nee was a little skinny Chinese guy that worked there, and he wasn't legal. He was a, an illegal alien? Mm-hmm. Even while I was looking into the story, we then discovered the, uh, the matter of Henry Nee. They finally arrested him for sending missile chips to China. Henry Nee was, in fact, arrested after a four-year sting last year on three counts of attempting to send Hellfire anti-tank missile chips to China. And he admitted doing it 20 times. And he pled guilty to one of the charges and admitted it was a slow year, so they <laughs> only did this 10 to 20 times. And when he was sentenced in October of 2004... He was sentenced to three years probation and a $100 fine. Pretty weak, huh? He seems to think he's pretty much promised a green card as soon as he's done with his probation. To this day, Mrs. Yang, I understand, uh, says that Henry Nee never worked at Yang Enterprises, Inc. It's one of the reasons you can prove that he was working on the project was the fact that they actually billed for him. They're sending timesheets to you saying, here's who worked. This is Correct. On what and how Correct. many hours they worked and so forth. Correct. One of them was Clint Curtis. One of them was Clint Curtis. One of them was Henry Nee. One of them was Henry Nee. She was regularly shipping information off to her brother in China. She, Mrs. Yang, Mrs. the Yang. CEO. Okay. Right. Who was her brother in China? Her brother, according to her, she got drunk one time and she was happy. And she was telling me about um, her brother had been thrown out of the country for spying. Of course, she said he didn't do it. But... He'd been tossed for spying, and then she's doing all this correspondence. She said it was video games, and I asked her, should you really be shipping all this stuff to your brother, since we have NASA contracts, and the government thinks he's a spy? If you got... Every environmental group, every group you have, just say, we're not going to do anything else. We're going to make the vote system, and we're going to fix it. And you could fix it in two months. But you've got to abandon everything else for those months and not save the whales and not do anything else but fix that problem. Because if you don't fix that problem, nothing else you want to do will matter. Thank you. I am pleased to follow that liar, Clint Curtis. <laughs> in case anybody missed it this morning, Clint Curtis passed a lie detector test, and it ran in this morning's St. Petersburg Times. Did you have any concerns about taking the polygraph test? No. I've been trying to for quite a while, but the opportunity came along for someone who is supposedly, you know, top of the line. Right. 
you know, big career with uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, so it's a good time to do it. What did they ask you? you they basically were trying to validate the affidavit that I gave to Congress. The lie detector test that Clint Curtis took was administered by Tim Robinson, who used to be the chief polygraph examiner for the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Clint Curtis was found to be truthful in all of his responses. Congressman Tom Feeney has yet to take his polygraph exam. You have a serious problem because you want your candidate to win, and you don't want the election to be rigged. But as it stands right now, we don't have a clue as to whether or not our elections will be rigged. Hari Hursty was invited by election supervisor Ion Sancho to test a Diebold AccuVote optical scan voting machine in Leon County, Florida. Clint Curtis said that the program was never used as far as he knows. It was a proof of concept. Is there anything about his concept then? From the touchscreen systems, uh, all touchscreen systems out there, it's impossible for me to say if actually you can do it with all the machines. Definitely you can do it with the Diebold, both Diebold platforms. And, and the presumption here being that nobody gets to look at the source code. Well, in Diebold, I would say I would build it so that it, it, you cannot find it from source code even if somebody looks it. And that's, I mean, I wouldn't go to that area. Can it be built? Well, I don't know if he's a good enough programmer to do it. Could it be done that you can actually hide it in the source code well, based, so that it cannot be done? Yeah. I found? Yeah. Black box voting facilitated a number of hacking demonstrations. Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney was able to witness the vulnerability of a Diebold central tabulator firsthand. With three clicks of a mouse and some instructions from those who know how to do this, I was able to hack into the Microsoft program that tabulates the votes, change the uh, election vote, and then exit from the program. Now, I saw it, I did it, and so then that means that I kind of know that it can be done. <laughs> Clint called me and told me that he had resigned from Yang. Why were you resigning in the first place? Because they're crooked. And if they're ethically challenged, I don't want to be there. I gave him a listing of firms that we did business with and told him if he were made available through an existing contract, I would then be able to contract with him. So you went to the Florida Department of Transportation after right. you left Yang Enterprises, yes. correct? Yang yeah. had like an $8 million contract, right, right with right. FDOT? They found out I was working there, and they, they just went ballistic. They started calling all over the place, and I needed to call them as soon as possible. Who called you? Mike Cohen. So Yang is now calling you after you went to work at FDOT? Right. They were all in the room talking. I could hear them mumbling in the background, you know, and Mike was basically the voice okay. coming out of this. Why are they calling you? They want to offer me big money to come back at first, you know. And then when it got to the point of, well, Feeney will find you a different job and we'll give you this million dollars anyway, it's like, why? They offered you a million dollars. They offered me a million dollars just to leave Tallahassee. And why didn't you take that? Because that's not right. Why isn't it right? Is there anything <laughs> illegal about uh, well, if you're you know, they're offering you a job? It's a million dollars. How much were you making when you worked at Yang before? 60000 60000 Yeah. And now they're offering you a million? They're offering a million. That's quite a price increase if there's not something illegal going on. Are they still looking for someone? Because At I could Yang? use some. Oh, yeah. could you use Yeah, I mean, if it's a million dollars. You don't have I'll, to show up for the job either. I'll leave Tallahassee. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a problem. He told you and others 
in the office. In the oh, office yeah. about this phone call he received from Yang where they mm -hmm. offered him... It was an ungodly amount of money. What did he tell you the offer was for? To leave DOD and keep his mouth shut. <laughs> so I start talking to Mike, Cohen. personally, Mike Cohen, the executive on the phone secretary. at night, you know, and trying to find out what's going on, you know. And basically he told me what was going on, you know, they had illegal aliens working there, you know. Henry was a spy. They were ripping off FDOT, you know, the whole routine. And it turned from, you know, bribes to, you know, we're going to have Ralph come kill you kind of stuff. Whoa, together. Whoa, whoa, whoa. what do you mean we're going to have Ralph come <laughs> kill you? Who's, who's Ralph's a sniper. Ralph was a sniper. Now, this is Vietnam. Ralph Thompson, the Ralph guy you Thompson. said was the VP at one time? The VP, right. Mike Cohen says to you that Ralph is going to come kill you? Well, actually, he says Ralph used to be a sniper. You know, you'd never even see it coming. But, you know, Ralph is now 60. You might okay. have been a great sniper when you're 20. <laughs> okay. But, you know, crawling through the woods when you're 60 is not quite the same. Don't taunt, <laughs> don't taunt Ralph. Don't taunt Ralph. No, this is being taped. <laughs> yeah. you, you got enough problems. <laughs> Certainly you go to the police. Somebody has just told so you. So then I go through the books. I have to have some sort of evidence because otherwise... What books do you totally go through? Nothing. What are you talking about? Well, since I worked in the same department where the billing had come in, okay. I started looking through the contract, and they had been overbilling for me for years. And they were billing like 40 hours a week for forever. Were you working 40 hours a week on no, the Yang contract? not at all, not even close. Working on the NASA contracts and the ExxonMobil contracts. And but and you were working 40-hour weeks, essentially? Mm hmm And all of that time was being billed to Yang, even though you were not doing all your right. work for FDOT? They even billed for a couple of days after I had left them and was working at FDOT. So I told Mavis George Ellis, and she said, well, we need to go to the Attorney General's office. You and Mavis George Ellis? Together? Yes. She went up with me and told the story, and I told my part of it. And the inspector general was who? Ray Lemmy. What complaints were made with Raymond Lemmy? Improper invoicing on the part of Yang Enterprises. Improper political influence. Because of Coming Tom? down from Tom Feeney. I see. Uh, through my immediate supervisor, Nelson Hill, on behalf of Yang Enterprises, and the use by Yang Enterprises of unauthorized. So there you go. Alien labor. Bye. That's the um, that's the summary of the testimony today, Troy. I hope you feel better. Get some uh, get some rest. Get some get uh, get in some dark there. You know what I'm saying, and get some rest. Uh, let's see if there's anything else going on with this hearing here today. I doubt it. Um, I think they're just going to be moving on towards voting on these bills and stuff here. So, um, but I did want to highlight uh, that that was going Language on today. Wrong. Oh, she's still talking. Okay, How's that uh, next witness. Thank you. Ben Scheel, Opportunity, Arizona. All right, so these are the, this, this is just people voting, uh, you know, testifying against the uh, bills that they're going to be voting on today. So we'll keep an eye on that, and I'll, I'll, there'll probably be an update on that tomorrow. So uh, we'll take a look out there tomorrow and see what else is going on out there in Arizona. Um, but that's pretty much the update um, of what's happening out there today. Uh, let me check in with you guys, see how you guys are doing out there. Thanks for being here today, guys. I appreciate you all. Rumble crowd's coming in strong. Thanks for being here. Do me a favor, hit that thumbs up button on Rumble. Please, please, please. Thanks for being here. DLive's out there lurking and listening, and uh, Twitch is out there hang, ha hanging out and having a great conversation. Thanks for being here today, guys. Dr. J. Blazer, uh, gifting a, uh, a, a gift sub to uh, Comfortably Numb. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much, Dr. J. Blazer. It's great to see you out there. 
Jack's in the house, as well as JD Rish, Knock My Socks Off, several others over there on Rumble. Thanks for being here today, guys. And I had to shut down my pill because for some reason I just can't do anything with it open. So let me go check in with you guys over here. Uh, let's see. Yeah, she doesn't listen very good, Tori. Get some rest. Get some rest. Thank you for being here. All right, so there's that. Then coming to us from Pennsylvania today, this dropped just before, or a few hours ago. But we've been waiting for some news from Pennsylvania, and it's finally here. Mike the Madman, how are you? I'll, let me drop that. Um, oh, shit, what did I do with that? Did I? Yeah, I did. Let me get that video out there for you guys. Hold on. Let me pull that back up. Uh, if you can help spread the word about this, uh, Clint Curtis character, alien labor, <laughs> illegal alien labor to rig our elections. How awesome is that? Um, here's that link for that, for Clint Curtis. If you want to, um, spread the word out there about what's going on in Arizona today, very important story, obviously. All right, there you go. Whoops, swing and a miss. Let's try that again. <laughs> Sorry, Rumble. There you go. There's that link for uh, for that. Now, from Pennsylvania today, this just breaking um, a few hours ago. We have been waiting patiently for something to come from Pennsylvania. I keep telling you guys, I got a feeling, well, we finally got something. Pennsylvania Commonwealth. Hold on one second. All right, my dear, it's just coffee. Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court to overturn the decision to block midterm election recounts. Hmm. February 10th, 2023, the Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court issued a decision reinforcing the value of transparency and security of elections. Ruling on an appeal brought by the citizens of Chester County, Pennsylvania, the Honorable Christine Cannon provided a historical victory for the purpose principle of the rule of law that all citizens are accountable to the same laws, including those holding government office. Thank you, Ohio Patriot. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Thank you. Due to documented concerns about the transparency and security of the election processes, 33 voters in Chester County, Pennsylvania, filed 11 petitions to recount ballots from the 2022 midterm election. The recount petitions were filed in the Chester County Court of Common Pleas and assigned to Judge Jeffrey R. Summer. Rather than schedule the recounts as the recount statute requires, Judge Summer scheduled a hearing on the petitions. Judge Summer then invited the Chester County Board of Elections, which is compromised of the county commissioners, to respond to the recount positions, petitions. The Democrat-controlled Board of Elections... Hey. Excuse me. The, the Board of Elections argued that the petitions... I lost my spot. The Democrat-controlled Board of Elections objected to the recounts after then... Rather than submitting the ballots to the court so recounts could be completed. So the Democrat-controlled Board of Electors objected. The Board of Electors argued that the petitioners were required to file petitions in every precinct in, in Pennsylvania, more than 9,000 precincts, which would obviously prohibitively costly. 
fees to file petitions in every county would total over $2.2 million figures. On November 28th, Democrat County Commissioners Maxwell and Moskowitz voted to certify the 2022 election results, even though the recount petitions were still pending, in violation of the election code. <clears throat> Republican Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Michelle Kishline voted not to certify the election due to the outstanding recount petitions. Uh, at a hearing held on December 5th, Judge Summer demanded that the petitioners produce some evidence of fraud in the election, although the recount statute affirmatively states that it shall not be necessary for petitioners to specify in their petition the particular act of fraud or error which they believe to have been committed, nor to offer evidence to substantiate the allegations to their petition. When presented with polling results that showed 52% of American voters believe that the 2020 election was fraudulent, Judge Summer exploded, quote, well, they're wrong. We know that. We know factually. Even Republicans know that factually. Well, you may not know, well, you may not, and the QAnon people may not, but people know. <laughs> On December 9th, 2022, Judge Summer agreed with the Democratic-controlled Board of Elections and dismissed the recount petitions. 18 of the Chester County petitioners I didn't get much sleep last night. I apologize. 18 of the Chester County petitioners appealed to Pennsylvania's Commonwealth court, arguing that the recount statute did not require or even authorize them to file petitions in every precinct in Pennsylvania and did not require them to allege a specific act of fraud or error. The petitioners also argued that the County board of elections lacks legal standing to oppose the recount petitions. That board should be a nonpartisan body that welcomes any opportunity to, dem to demonstrate transparency, integrity, security, fairness, and honesty in elections, Democrat commissioners Maxwell and Moskowitz filed a brief in the statewide appeals court repeating their arguments and continuing to fight to prevent recounts that would verify the accuracy of the reporting result, election results. At the same time, the Pennsylvania Department of State and Acting Secretary of Commonwealth Al Democrat Al Schmidt Pennsylvania Department of State and Acting Secretary of the Commonwealth, Democrat Al Schmidt, filed an uninvited brief also arguing that the petitioners should be required to allege a particular act of fraud or file petitions in every precinct in California and in Pennsylvania. The Department of State justified its intrusion into the case by blaming the petitioners for delaying final certification of election returns, despite the fact that the recounts would have been completed in November of 2022. Had the Democrat County petitioners not objected to fulfilling their duties under the recount statute. In what may be, may be the first appellate court decision on the recount statute from the 2022 election, the Commonwealth Court agreed with the petitioners saying that Judge Summer, Chester County, the Chester County Commissioners, and the Department of State incorrectly relied on a re related statute to argue that the petitioners were required to either allege fraud or error with, with specificity or file in every election district in the Commonwealth. The court also noted that, com that the Commissioners Maxwell and Mo Moskowitz violated Pennsylvania's election code when they improperly certified the election results while the petitions remain outstanding. So it appears, it appears, it appears that there is a lot more to come from Pennsylvania. Let me get that article out there for you. Um, shout out to the raccoon army. 
for sharing that one. I guess Mike Lindell uh, had posted that. So there's the link to that. Do me a favor, share that far and wide. Finally, some news from Pennsylvania. You know what I'm saying? Jeez. PA, PA's election was a joke. We covered it deeply. And it, it is just an absolute mess what happened in a completely unconstitutional election in Pennsylvania. And that's why we I still think there's going to be more to come from it. Uh, because once these things finally do work their way through the courts, you can't deny it. Same with Kerry Lake's uh, appeal. That that Once that goes to the Supreme Court, it's it's undeniable. But you guys know how the court system works. It's, um, it's a, you know, lawfare is a giant disaster. So... We'll keep an eye on it, and hopefully we'll get some more news on that front here. You know what I'm saying? All right. Uh, Let's see here. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, Jesus bill, or the Jesus bill, the... The, um, yeah, I'm, I'm focusing on topics I actually give a shit about. So instead of transforming the life of Jesus to fit our culture, let's tell the full story of Jesus offensive and as glorious as it is. Um, an interesting article, uh, from Jordan Boyd in today's Federalist. Uh, and also blaze TV picked it up as, as well for reference. Let me show you guys the couple commercials that uh, were played yesterday in case you missed them. Here's the first one that was played. There was this controversial figure everywhere. He went, people challenged him. They questioned his ideology, trolled him, called him ugly names, but he never took the bait, never raised his voice. Whoops. You want to see that? Huh? <laughs> Here it is. There was this controversial figure. Everywhere he went, people challenged him. They questioned his ideology, trolled him, called him ugly names, but he never took the bait, never raised his voice, refused to retaliate because he believed he could change the world by turning the other cheek. And yes, that uh, Jesus had to work on controlling his outrage too. Yeah, I think part of the idea behind the Super Bowl ad is that people have had bad experiences with Christians, especially over in the last few years, and so they want to try and get the focus off of Christians and back to Jesus. Bob Sameta, national reporter for Religious News Service, told NPR's Scott Detro. Sameta, Smyat, how the hell do you say this dude's name? Smyat, Smytana. Um clarify that such groups might include people who felt they were not accepted at church because of their sexual orientation or political leanings. Other groups may have felt the same way based on their race. Still others may have felt alienated from the church based on egregious sexual abuse scandals that recently came to light. So that is, um, the summary from, uh, the, the, the group that paid for the article, the ads. Here's the website. He gets us.com. I haven't really looked at it too much. Um, this is the other one that was played, uh, at the, at the, uh, first Super Bowl commercial last night. I, I didn't see this, this one.
So there they are for reference. Um, the rest of the website has, you know, a bunch of little short videos like that on it. Um, love your enemies, AI love. What the hell? Um, let me see. What is this? Uh, what the hell? Oh. We asked an artificial intelligence to visualize love. Jesus's love was never artificial. Nice. Uh, kind of interesting. Um, let's see. The making of a refugee, the influencer, good times, alone, outrage, the struggle, anxiety. Uh, I'll go with this one. That's probably good for me. felt alone too so anyways that gets you an idea of the website itself <clears throat> there's a section here let's see if i can find it quickly um so let's see it shows the two there here's where here's where the article kind of starts on this for perspective thanks for being here today guys these commercials offer the vaguest and most inoffensive and uncontroversial picture of Jesus possible, even to people who already have a distaste for Christianity. In fact, they are part of a larger campaign known for making radical comparisons between Jesus and the U.S. border crisis, which is harnessed by corrupt cartels for profit, the bold conflations of Jesus and his disciples with groups who roam the streets today, challenging authority and making a lot of people uneasy. It's an attempt to appeal to the current culture. We look at the biography of Jesus through a modern lens to find new relevance and often overlooked moments and themes from his life. 
says the campaign's website. The hope in running these eyebrow-raising ads campaign at ads campaign representatives disclose is to use an updated portrayal of Christ to sympathize with the with the plights of people who are spiritually open but skeptical of organized religion. In other words, the ads were deliberately designed to look, walk, and talk like a social justice agenda that has found its way into every American institution in the last decade in a last-ditch effort to appeal to a worldly culture. Yet the universal messages communicated by these videos were still broadly rejected and smeared. Something it tells me Jesus would not spend millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads to make fascism look benign. Progressive Darling and Democrat Representative AOC quipped on Twitter shortly after the of the 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 uh, ad played. She's just too stupid to understand anything. Who who cares about what the hell she has to say? Literally one of the dumbest people on the planet. And people are like, hey, did you hear what AOC said? I don't give a shit. She's fucking, she's a complete and total moron. You know what I'm saying? Like, who gives a shit what AOC has to say? The fun, it's like, it's like listening to the press conference or the presser at the, the White House. You know what I'm saying? Literally the dumbest person in America is standing in front of everybody trying to answer questions about shit. She has no clue what the hell she's talking about. The people funding the campaign endure, endured even more scrutiny from the corporate media, their mouthpieces, and out, outraged keyboard warriors than the ads themselves. Virginia Heifer, <laughs> we'll just go with that, reminded the Jesus-y He Gets Us campaign is a truly toxic, far-right effort, anti-LBGDQ, anti-abortion, etc. Ignore the gauzy social justice dressing. No matter how hard, how hard Christian campaigns, especially evangelical ones, like he gets us try to win over the, the world by twisting the gospel to fit our culture's standards, they will fail. Do not conform to this world. It should come as no surprise that even the tamest of ads that barely mentions Jesus was doomed from the start. Christian campaigns like he gets us uh, operate under the premise that repackaging the gospel to make our society think think Christians and Jesus are cool entities, people entices people to consider following Jesus. Sometimes, or oftentimes, they go to great lengths to trash their own faithful Christians to be viewed and accepted by the same world that despise Christians, Christ followers who hold biblical views about marriage, sex, family, and life. He Gets Us was born out of the idea that Christians of today are not good enough to, at marketing Jesus. After all, an alarming number of Americans are abandoning the church. Quote, how did the story of a man who, was, who taught and practiced unconditional love become associated with hatred and oppression for so many? Organizers ask on the campaign's website. As a result, they claim many of us simply cannot reconcile the idea that a person with the idea of that person with the way our culture experiences religion today. Thank you, Mez. Appreciate that. They say, whether it's hypocrisy and discrimination in the church or scandals both real and perceived among religious leaders or polarization of our politics, many have regulated Jesus from the world's greatest love story to just another tactic used to intensify our deep cultural divisions. Anyone who reads the Bible, however, knows our society will never welcome the good news with open arms. That's because the gospel in its truest form is offensive to the world. It announces unequivocally that every person is a vile sinner who deserves death and that even though so-called good works we the even though the so-called good works we do are tainted by self-interest and are filthy in the eyes of holy God it tells a it tells of a loving father who gave up his only son Jesus to live a perfect life and die the most brutal death imaginable as a sacrifice for the same sort of people who murdered him 
it, it proclaims that this Jesus miraculously rose from the grave and he miraculously rose from the grave and it demands that anyone who follows him must lay down his own comfort and desires and even his very life every single day. Nothing about this offensive message confirms to our culture. In fact, the written word of God demands that we do not conform to the pattern of this world. Dressing up the word of God to appeal to the masses is the exact opposite of what Jesus and the apostles did and what Christians are commanded to do. We are told to sow the seed of the gospel everywhere and to everyone to preach Christ crucified, not watered down the birth, death, resurrection, and the ascension of the incarnate God who detests sin into someone who perfectly embodies the modern culture. Jesus doesn't need rebranding. There's nothing wrong with bringing Jesus to the masses. It's what we're commanded to do, but we have to do it well. Jesus wasn't only human after all, and the song in the He First Gets Us campaign suggested he was fully human and fully God. The scripture tells us only because of this glorious truth that Jesus was qualified to be our Savior. Jesus' mission from God to die for the sins of the world cannot be reduced to a few choice words, he said. We care about what Jesus said, but we can't separate that from what he did. Jesus didn't just preach love your neighbor or love your enemies or have childlike faith. He rebuked sin, cast out demons, and promised eternal life for those who repent. That alone is great news that doesn't need editorializing or tweaking or watered down. As Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, quote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He gets us, sends a different message that maybe the pure gospel is something to be ashamed of because maybe the power of God, absent fresh aesthetics and modern social justice narratives, isn't enough to save. That doesn't mean we we stop sharing the good news on whatever platforms we can. There's certainly a space for Christians to share the love of God and the gift of new life by grace through the faith in Jesus Christ to the millions watching the biggest sporting event of the year and everyone else. But let's not squander that opportunity by peddling convenient narratives. Instead of transforming the life of Jesus to fit our culture, let's tell the full story of Jesus, offensive and glorious as it is to the watching world and see how it transforms them. Jordan Boyd, staff writer for The Federalist today, with a solid take on uh, the the um, the advertisements uh, over the camp over the Super Bowl holiday, Super Bowl holiday, Super Bowl shuffle, yeah, that thing. So there you go. There's that. Um, pretty good stuff. And if you think about Bryson Gray and all the the hate being spewed towards his way. You know, he looks at himself as a as a uh, a very uh, strong Christian, and um, just as was talked about there, um, anyone who stands against those beliefs, um, in in his eyes, no matter how much propaganda comes from it, uh, he he believes he's making a righteous stand, and um, I think all of us should should um, work harder at trying to. Um, open our minds to free thinkers and people we disagree with and things, uh, things like that. But, um, that's just my opinion. Who knows? Anyways, how you guys doing? All right. At the top of the hour already time flying by already. Holy crap. Thanks for being here. Lots of stuff going on in the world today. I know there's a lot of content out there. That's, uh, that's important that you may want to hear. So let's get to it. Uh, let me just keep rolling here today, guys. Let me see who I missed. Uh, 
think I missed a couple. Let me just say thank yous out there. Mez, Ohio Patriot, 5 by 5 thank you for being here. Uh, Bitch Toria, Love Regina, Popcorn Q, Who Cares, and Sloan TV. Lots of people going live right now on Rumble, that figures. Stay with me, guys. I got some good stuff for you. Have you guys seen all of the different train derailments that have happened? There is several of them that really haven't been talked about much. So I want to make sure we get that covered today. We did the first report on this last Monday on the 6th. And um, finally, people are talking about it now. <laughs> but um, there, there's something, obviously, it, it appears that this country is under attack from, from within, from probably people being brought into the border of some kind. Nobody's asking, everyone's looking into the companies that own these trains and things like that, but nobody's asking the question, how the hell does this keep happening? There's a, there's a, what appears to be an environmental nuclear bomb getting ready to go off in America, not just there, but all around the country. And you know, it's, what's worrisome is, um, I don't think anybody has any, um, any trust in the EPA or anyone in the government to actually uh, address this issue. Let's start here with Utah's Great Salt Lake. Joe's my bro, my bro Joe's been covering this often. It's a pretty interesting story that came out from Zero Hedge on on Saturday. Um, it looks like Utah's Great Lake is facing an unprecedented danger without a significant increase in water flow over the next few years. The lake might turn into dust, and that's where things could get dangerous for 2.5 million restaurant re residents around the lake. Um, the, the Great Salt Lake have created new challenges to dust laden with toxic metals that threaten the region. It's just now worsening a mega drought in the western half of the United States that has brought forward what some folks refer to as a impending environmental nuclear bomb. In recent months, the lake level has dropped to historic lows, exposing 800 square miles of lake bed that contain natural and artificial toxins such as arsenic, mercury, and selenium. You can see that lake levels there since 1985 have decreased to the lowest levels on record since, to, uh, you know, most recently. As of the drought situation deteriorates, the lake bed turns into dust and is whipping up into the air, which is ingested by millions of residents surrounding it. The great toxic dust bowl is what they're worried about. So there's that. I'm sure that's just an accident too, right? Oh, that's a great article by Ash in America that I want to get to in just a minute. Um, that was meant to go with the election integrity discussion. I'll get right back to that here in just a moment. Uh, the summary of everything from the East Palestine disaster is basically everything we talked about last Monday. Um, but 30 million people may be in danger because of this disaster. It's, it seems like nobody in the media, nobody in the public really wants to talk about how bad this is. Stu Peter's dropping this out there. There's 30 million, 30 million people in this Ohio basin right here uh, that goes down to the uh, Mississippi. And I, you guys know our waters are already disastrous. Toxic chemicals from the train of remnants and explosion in East Palestine have reportedly contaminated the Ohio River as far west as West Virginia, a water source for over 5 million people. The Ohio River is one of the nation's greatest national resources, over 30 million people. People are about 10% of the U.S. population live in the Ohio River Basin with numerous public drinking water intakes and industries. The river provides drinking water, drinking water to over 5 million people. That kind of scares the crap out of me. You know, you know how much industry is along the Ohio River Basin, and I guess they find ways to purify this water, they say. Um, but, I mean, if you're taking, uh, you know, 
if you're taking chemicals or taking water out of uh, chemicals with PFAS and other stuff in them, you're trying to tell me you're purifying that water and it's not causing any cancers or anything like that. This is a video from 14 miles from the East Palestine following, uh, following, uh, following the explosion in the train derailment uh, where they show, you know, looking for issues and stuff in the West Virginia area. Wow, nice area. Great video showing um, basically nothing. <laughs> um, DC Drano picked this up uh, as well. So that's kind of the, the latest on it. There's really no new stuff out there. Uh, there's only these, uh, these older articles that we've kind of pretty much covered all of this stuff. So um, if you're looking for more information on this, I also put out uh, the replay of the Monday show that we did that uh, had the, the sourced material talking about what kind of um, chemicals are in there as well as other problems. So uh, just looking at here's the picture of the uh, local area, the fallout picture of the area. These aren't these aren't these aren't storm clouds. This is the fucking shit that they burn off the fucking shit they burn off in East Palestine. This is not fucking storm clouds. Look at it. This is over Darlington. Wow. I, you know, these people are all going to end up very, very sick, man. This is their fucking success. Sorry. I didn't realize this guy was going to be going off like that. There's, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a success right there. Um, let's see. I think that you guys have seen this already. Yeah. That pretty much got this all covered. Today, though... Two more train derailments uh, today uh, in the Houston area. USA Landshark, thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. Indeed, prayers for everyone out there who's affected by these disasters. Houston area crash between a truck and a Union Pacific train kills the driver and derails 20-plus rail cars. Again, I'm less concerned about who owns the train, who owns the track, all of that stuff. You know what I'm saying? How is it happening it's not an accident it is obviously acts of terrorism being brought on us between our food supply and now our environmental quality and water quality as well. Watch the water. Maybe I don't know the cargo on the train includes some hazardous materials in Houston area, prompting union Pacific to monitor the air quality at the site of the crash. According to the Splendora police department. Um, this was, a. Uh, this broke about a couple hours ago. Truck driver died and several freight train cars were derailed during a Monday morning collision northeast of Houston. The crash is at an 18 the crash between an 18-wheeler and a Union Pacific train occurred shortly before 7:30 a.m. on Monday along Interstate 69 and US 59 near the intersection of Fostoria and Midline Roads between the towns of Splendora and Cleveland according to Lieutenant Troy Teller of Splendora Police Department. He said 21 trade cars were derailed in the collision and that hazardous materials team from Union Pacific was on site to monitor the air quality. Um, 
100 gallons of diesel fuel was released by the truck involved in the crash. From what we're being told, there's no major chemicals to be concerned about, just like there's nothing major to be concerned about in Ohio. It's more about household chemicals on board for retail purposes, not a large quantity from what we're being told. So, you know, <laughs> similar to uh, everything else. Nothing to see here. Don't worry. I don't know what's on these trains specifically. But uh, then we have this in, in Nori. This is coming to us from Inori, uh, South Carolina. Officials are responding to a train derailment on Monday afternoon. CSX Transportation were also on the scene. Um, this is the uh, the picture of that derailment there, and that you can see also looks like the similar uh, train cars as the other um, as the Ohio scene. So there's that. Then we had this from I think I did report on this it, towards the end of the year around Christmas time, but it didn't get a lot of attention. And, um, you know, I think it should have got more attention state. Uh, this is as of December 22nd states finds, uh, Iowa finds petroleum contamination after Marengo explosion on December 22nd water runoff from the Marengo facility that exploded and caught fire this month was contaminated with chemicals associated with petroleum. Some of which are used in solvents, according to the Iowa department of natural resources, those who operate the C six zero facility in the east side of Marengo in Eastern Iowa prior to the explosion repeatedly declined to reveal that chemicals it, it used to break down old shingles. Yikes. Thank you. Abolitionist. The purpose of the emergency order last issued last week is to prevent further processing of shingles at the facility inside the building is large quantities of unknown chemicals in buckets and barrels and gas tanks, along with, uh, big piles of loose crushed shingles, all of which were exposed to wind, rain and changing temperatures. They said, um, large runoff pools, contaminated water and are flowing into or towards the Iowa river. So there's that. A uh, company to pay more than 300000 for explosion cleanup. This is as of February 6th from Jared Strong from the uh, Iowa Capital Dispatch. Uh, a Marengo company has agreed to pay at least $333,000 for environmental cleanup related to the December, December explosion of its facility, according to court records. C60, the company that uh, deconstructs shingles, uh, will pay the amount to the Des Moines area company for assessment and re remediation. Um the suit was meant to force the company to comply with DNR emergency order about a week after the explosion that required the company to secure the property, cease operations and prevent contaminants from escaping. This agreement was, um, the agreement this week is obviated a court hearing, uh, that was set for Monday afternoon about a temporary, temporary injunction as part of C six zero. Here's the article from December 16th, the original um, story on this, uh, about uh, 40 seconds long. So really just a little bit of footage from, from the area there. There's a better picture of um, the, uh, 
the facility. Um, and so there's that. So I don't know, man, I'm going to, I'll do a quick check right now to see if there's any more updates on this stuff, but, um, something very obvious is happening. And, um, it is obvious that, uh, this country is under attack. Um, <laughs> and it ain't by aliens. Here's the first article for you on those train derailments. Um, that's from South Carolina. There's not much in that article. I'll, I'll do I'll do another dig right now to see if I can find any more. And then here's the Houston area one. Uh, we remember we saw that that uh, video earlier where there was a giant truck that was in the way of a train as well, uh, with a concrete bridge pylon or something on it that just. Um, so, I don't know, man. Um, See something, say something if you can, but I, you know, obviously something happening here. There's that second article about the Houston area one. And then if you want, um, I'll get the other ones out there on social media after the show, as always, let me check in to see if there is anything new happening out there. Time flying by today. Thanks for being here today, guys. Much love. I appreciate y'all. Um, here is, let's see, this is, here is the video from Northeast Houston um, showing the uh, derailments there after a truck driver was killed. Um, and you can see these are, these aren't, these are not hazardous chemical um, rail cars like the other ones were. You can tell though they have that kind of, uh, you know, round steel cylindrical uh, rail cars that usually contain, uh, the hazardous materials. So there is the uh, latest video from the Houston one today. I'll let that play here for a sec so you guys can see that. Those are more like uh, shipping containers than the, than the ones that contain uh, the hazardous materials. So there's the latest on the Houston one. Uh, let's see if there's anything else out there today. Um, um, hmm. Not seeing much else on on that for for now. Um. Object shot down over Canada was a metallic balloon with payload. So there's that. Uh, Buttigieg had words on this. It's had its challenges. Right. Uh, I mean, if you look at what the American transportation systems have faced in the last two or three years, partly because of the pandemic, we've faced issues from container shipping to airline cancellations. Mm -hmm. Now we got balloons. That's right. Um, <laughs> I mean, these, these people are just <laughs> completely worthless, uh, completely and utterly worthless, man. Um, everybody else looks like they're picking up the, uh, the other derailments that are going on out there now today too, as well. All right. What else? Oh, since he mentioned balloons, Ron Watkins, cold monkey, um, dropped the Roswell, <laughs> I'm not even going to move it to the front, but this is the Roswell papers. 
um, that has, you know, a, a summary of everything that they knew about, um, or that was declassed about Roswell, I should say, what they want the public to know. Um, and in it has obviously lots of interesting things, um, you know, from timelines in 1947 to all kinds of other stuff with pictures. And then at the very end of the report, it has this. General Carl A. Spods, commanding general of the U.S. Army Air Forces in 1947. He was the chief of staff of the United States Air Force from 47 to 48. A review of his personal and official documents include highly classified daily briefings for the summer of 1947. Do not in any way suggest that the U.S. Army Air Forces recovered a flying saucer or its alien occupants. Lieutenant General Hoyt, a review of his official daily activities calendar revealed knowledge of reporting flying saucer recovery on July 7th in Texas, an incident that he later determined to be a hoax because <laughs> that's how it works. Uh, General Nathan Twinning, um, UFO theorists alleged that Twinning altered his plans unexpectedly in July of 1947 to go to New Mexico to oversee the recovery of the flying saucer. But really what I want to tell you about beyond that is pretty sure we're all pretty sure aliens are real, right? Even, even Q was like, it's a pretty expansive universe out there. What do you think? Right. Um, I have, I, this is a PDF USA land shark. So just fair warning. You never know what's on a PDF. I scanned it and opened it on my computer and I did not find any problems with it. And it's from Ron Watkins. Um, so here is just be careful if you don't have uh, software for any kind of, um, you know, just to make sure that uh, what you're receiving doesn't have something hidden in it. I, I, I try not to, t to share PDFs, but uh, if you want that one, go ahead. There it is. It's about 900 pages of the Roswell report. So it goes through anyway, other pictures of all these other guys. Then it comes to this project mogul. Field Operations Director Albert P. Carey. Did I say that right? Crary. Uh, maintain a journal of his professional activities, including Project Mogul research in the summer of 1947. Portions of his journal provided um, necess details necessary to reconstruct events not available from published Mogul reports. In addition to his work in the Air Force, this, well, this world-renowned scientist is credited with significant contributions to the study of the polar regions. A research center at McMurdo Station, Antarctica, was recently named in his honor. Interesting. <laughs> of course it is. Albert P. Carreri, the technician uh, and technician Phil Chance, taking a break during Project Mogul, Mogul operations at the White Sand Missile Range, which I have been to in 1947. Very interesting place. Uh, Dr. W. Maurice Ewing, prominent geophysicist uh, and oceanographer. It was Ewing who first conceptualized the military significance of the atmospheric sound channel. This proposal made directly to the commanding general of uh, U.S. Army Air Forces, General Spaz, was well-received and resulted in the initiation of Project Mogul, M-O-G-U-L. Several other distinguished scientists as well, um, serving at the U.S. Uh, uh, U.S. Air Force Liaisons Group, U.S. Army Signal Corps. Um, let me go down a little bit farther past all of these. 
Charles B. Moore of the NYU Constant Level Balloon Project Engineer. Moore pioneered the use of polyethylene balloons for upper atmospheric research. He launched NYU Flight Number 4 on June 4th, 1947, which was the balloon train most likely to have caused what is known as the Roswell incident. Moore is presently Professor Emeritus at Atmospheric Physics at New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology. The balloon train was several balloons stacked on top of each other to, to raise them up as high as possible, obviously getting as much. They probably used helium back then. I think they use other gases now that are um, more lighter. Um, sitting in the back of a truck, the U S army GR three sound raging set normally used by field artillery operation units was adopted for the use in project mogul. The set was employed for the mogul operations, white sand proving grounds in July, of 1947, the destination or shot on the right a 500 pounds of TNT was monitored at the White Sands Proving Grounds and the Project Mogul Balloon and Ground-Based Sensors. Modified PT boat was assigned to Project Mogul. as shown off here off of Block Island, Rhode Island. Uh, Colonel Marcellus Duffy eliminated it and several others from the project when headquarters uh, Army Air Forces expressed concerns over the progress of Mogul under previous project officers. Um... In June of 1947, the launch of Project Mogul Neoprene Balloons, uh, Almogordo Air Force Base in New Mexico, showing the, uh, the initial pictures of the balloons there, you can see. Here is a, st a standard 350-gram meteorological weather balloon in northern hangar at Almogordo, Almogordo Air Force Base, for use by Project Mogul in June of 1947, although the balloons themselves were common, the remainder of the equipment on Mogul trains was experimental or had been recently placed in service. It would not be unusual for individuals to involved in the development to uh, of these devices not to recognize them. Very compartmentalized. Here's the launch crew of the Mo uh, Mogul balloon training for flight. Um, pictures are obviously very tough to see, but you get the idea. Um, here is, there's the first balloon going up, 15 foot polyethylene balloon and a 70 foot polyethylene balloon above. Uh, you can kind of see it there. Uh, it is variety of a balloon that caused many UFO sightings due to their flat spherical appearances when on the ground and viewed from the ground. Pretty interesting for sure to consider. Um, uh, the, a blimp at the hangar at uh, Lakehurst Naval Station in New Jersey contains a Project Mogul balloon during its preparation for flight, lying on the desert floor and near Roswell. So just, just an I just giving you an idea of um, more to meet the eye with the balloon story. I think so. There you go. There's that that I wanted to get to. You. Good stuff from um, from Cold Monkey there uh, today or this weekend. Rumble crowd, how you guys doing? How you guys doing out there? JD Rish, Chris, everyone lurking and listening. Thanks for being here today, guys. Please hit that plus button, thumbs up button. I appreciate you all. Twitch crowd's in the house. How you guys doing? Hey, Cracks, how are you? Good to see you out there today. Great crowd over there on Twitch today. Thanks for being here today, guys. I appreciate you all. Jeff, Dr. Jay Blazer also gifting a sub to Jane. Thank you very much, my friend. Lady Bird, how are you? Hope all is well. 
Yes, us crazy QAnoners, Ladybird, are able to free think beyond the mainstream media's version of the cult that is Q. Let me read this for you. This is supposed to go with the election integrity. I want to make sure I get this out there for you. Ash in America, 21 hours ago in her Substack, the priceless right. Team America first destroys Team America first destroys the establishment in Colorado. The opposition turf with the opposition rules and opposition refs, but nothing's happening. Whoops. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do that. Did I? Oh, abolitionist. Thank you. Boys blank. Thank you. Also abolitionist. Thanks for another one. Uh, and Smalls, Tennessee, Paulie, thank you for the ship. I missed a bunch of them out there. Thanks for the gold pills today, guys. 4617 gold pills today. I appreciate you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In January of 2021, longtime grassroots leaders in Colorado's Republican party began coaching the newly engaged mad as hell election integrity activists on how to reclaim the party for the people. The strategy is now a national movement known as the precinct strategy. Led by Dan Schultz and Steve Stern, the precinct strategy aims to elect America First patriots as voting members within the local Republican Party apparatus using party bylaws to reclaim power and control from the donor class and restore it to the people. Colorado was doing it before it was cool. (laughs) Though, I admit, I never believed it would be successful. I'm not a Republican, but as one of those pissed off election activists, I've watched the business of Colorado Republican Party with great interest. I stand with the people and I've written extensively about their battles with the establishment over the past two years. Silly game and silly prizes. El Paso County, Colorado was one of the most populous counties in Colorado with over 722,000 people there. According to the most recent census, Colorado Springs is the county seat lovingly referred to as Olympic City, USA, because the since the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Training Center calls their city home. Uh, El Paso County is also uniquely in that it is also unique and that it is the only country in the county in the nation that is home to five U.S. military commands, Fort Carson, uh, Fort or Peterson Air Force Base, Shriver Air Force Base, Cheyenne Mountain, which is houses the uh, NORAD, as you guys know. El Paso also happens to be the fifth largest Republican Party in the nation. Despite the, excuse me, the deep state and the military industrial complex, vibes are strong here. So it should not be surprising that the attempts of the people to reclaim their party from the establishment have been a series of vicious and seemingly failed battles since the stolen election of November 3rd, 2020. The latest battle has been underway for nearly a year. In March and April of 2022, after America First Patriots swept the Republican County Assemblies and State Assembly and Convention, the El Paso County establishment did an about-face on their calls for unity and established Peak Republicans, an alternative GOP apparatus for the El Paso County. On March 31st, 2022, they filed the first trade name and on January 18th, 2023, filed to renew the trade name. Registered name, Catherine Marie Roop. Course. The Republican establishment fights back in every state, as you guys are well aware of. It is important to understand that this alternative party entity was formed by the establishment while the existing party was enjoying the highest participation levels in more than a decade. Under Chairwoman Vicki Tonkin's leadership, El Paso County Republican Party was growing, exciting voters, and moving the people from apathy to action. Still, my sources tell me that the Colorado GOP Chairwoman 
Christy Burton Brown attended the grand opening of the peak Republicans office in Colorado Springs in April of 2022. I've long said that the, that the Republican establishment is perfectly content being the minority in our state. And the establishment is fighting hard to stop the populist party uh, from, from growth. Allow me to make my case, make your move swampy players. Chairwoman Burton Brown was elected in uh, 2021 her victory was solely due to gra grassroots candidates throwing their support, their votes, her way in the third round of the voting. The shift was not about the confidence in Burton Brown, but rather the chairwoman's success. Uh, the chairwoman's success was an effort to defeat former Republican Secretary of State C Scott Gessler. Prior to the third vote, Gessler took the first two rounds. Pivotal in Burton Brown's victory were the votes of El Paso County Chairwoman Vicki Tonkins and her county's voting members. During this time as Secretary of State, Gessler held an investigation into electronic voting equipment, wrote, wrote standards for its use, and paved the way for his predecessor, Wayne Williams, to bring Dominion voting machines into the state of Colorado. Side note, former Secretary of State Williams is currently serving as the Colorado Springs city councilman at large, as well as senior advisor to Runbeck Election Services. He was the one who appointed overseers for Mesa County elections after Secretary Griswold illegally removed clerk Tina Peters from her post in 2021. But wait, there's more. Williams' wife, Holly Williams, is an El Paso County commissioner with oversight of election contracts, including those awarded to Rumback Election Services, the latest of which occurred last year. Rumback Election Services, where her husband is a senior advisor, you really can't make this shit up. Wayne Williams is currently running for mayor of Colorado Springs against Benghazi war hero Tig Tegan, and they're screwing with him deeply. These are all Republicans these swampy and conflicted players, Colorado's election issues and the exception of the, the inception of the election fraud test kitchen is predominantly the work of Republicans, not Democrats. She's right too, by the way, it's a combination of both, but yeah, back to our story during Brown Burton's 2021 election activists held the line and demanded promises from the chairwoman on matters of election integrity. She was only elected because of the grassroots believed her promises immediately upon securing her post she abandoned those promises. In July of 2022, any remaining doubt of the chairwoman's priorities vanished. Immediately following the prov provably rigged Colorado primary elections on June 28, 2022, Burton Brown assigned the party's get-out-the-vote effort and all resources that come with that assignment to the peak Republicans instead of the El Paso County Republican Party. Predictably, their get-out-the-vote efforts failed, and un unlikable Colorado Republican establishment has zero political capital, and the triple communist majority in our state holds. Huh? Oh, gotcha. Race game, setting the narrative and misleading the people. Immediately following their November uh, midterm upset, the failed red wave, the party establishment began pushing a specific narrative. Burton Brown went on a George Broshler radio show to tease the idea of revoking the county's GOP charter. Broshler's show is a favorite outlet for Burton Brown, and many in my readers will remember her performance last year. Following her humiliation at the state assembly, she disparaged 61% of the voting members while her vice chair referred to them as Judas during Holy Week. She also teased this messaging at a sparsely populated November meeting of the Sunrise Republican Women of Colorado Springs, an establishment organization. Check this out. Um, later on, but at the state central committee meeting in March, a group can apply 
to become a county party instead of a county party. A group from the county, or individuals from a county, can make an application to decharter their county party. And the state central committee, which is a body of over 500 people, can make that decision. But the bylaws and law do not give the power to the state chairman or the executive committee, which is about 25 people. It, the power rests with the state central committee. Um, so that is an option uh, because I'll be honest with you, I do not think the current county party can build unity in El Paso County. I do. And I say that from personal experience over the last year and a half of trying to get the county party to do a number of things that I think needed to be done in El Paso County. Um, we had to spend a lot more money in El Paso County as a state party um, to try and drive turnout and to try and do things. And it wasn't enough when you don't have a local um, county party empowering people to do it, it, it doesn't work, unfortunately. I think there's great people over there. This is not a personal attack on anyone. It's I think reality that we've seen, there was no real GOTV effort from the county party and that hurt us. Um, I, as the state chairman, by the way, cannot bring an application like that. So I'm by no means standing up here saying that's what I'm gonna do. I'm saying people in any county have the opportunity to do that if they so choose and the rest of the state can hear and decide what to do. I don't know if that answers yeah. exactly, but. It, it does, I mean, it, it was just a frustrating thing to see uh, candidates have lost in primaries attacking our our winners from that perspective, right? And how we get that discipline and support Republican principles and, and the candidates that we need to win back this state, I think it just causes fractures in the party and, and the ability to win some of these seats that you're talking about. In hindsight, that was Burton Brown was absolutely setting the narrative for the planned coup of the El Paso County Republican Party. In December, just after Christmas, then El Paso tre uh, Treasurer-elect and sitting county clerk and recorder Chuck Borman circulated a petition to force a meeting of the state central committee to remove the El Paso County Republican Party and ostensibly hand the power and resources to the peak Republicans. My readers will remember Borman and the gaslighter-in-chief who oversaw the fraud-ridden recount of the 2022 primary election with the subtext she has listed here. Borman's petition required 25% of the state's central committee members, roughly 125 signatures, and it failed. As you can see there. But a failed petition wasn't enough to stop those peak Republicans just a few weeks ago in mid-January, a new complaint was issued and Burton Brown inexplicably agreed to hold a meeting about El Paso. Despite the failure of Borman's petition, the state, uh, state chairwoman sent a call to meeting for the state central committee in January 31st via Zoom, but she did not include the complaint against El Paso Republicans in that correspondence. Rather, she sent the complaint to the El Paso chairwoman Tonkins recommended that Tonkin's craft a response and promised to send both the complaint and Tonkin's response to the full committee in advance of the meeting. Tonkin's crafted a response that was signed by dozens of voting members. Burton Brown then refused to send the response out with the complaint because, in summary, you didn't write it the way I wanted you to write it. Again, Burton Brown abandoned her promise, and only the, the only complaint was sent to the members of the state central committee. On January 26th, five days before Burton Brown's meeting, Tonkins sent her call to meeting for a central county central committee meeting on February 11th. 
This meeting is important as it determines party leadership for the county. That is, this meeting is where voting members of the county party elect their party leadership for the next two-year term. Around that time, Tonkins filed a lawsuit against Burton Brown and the Colorado GOP requesting that the state party be restricted from interfering in the business of the county party. A couple days later, January 31st, 2023, it was time for Burton Brown's Zoom meeting. The meeting went exactly as you would expect. Chairwoman Tonkins was removed from overseeing the upcoming county meetings. Oversight was assigned to the neutral third party, Burton Brown's favorite parliamentarian, Greg Carlson. Location of the February 11th election was moved from the location announced by Tonkins to the peak Republicans location. Most importantly, the credentialing committee was prescribed to be the five division chairs in the county party, all of whom were sympathetic to the peak Republicans cause. A massive blow to America First. Tonkins and her team were resolved to have their own meeting on February 11th, hopeful that the judge would rule in their favor. To that end, on February 3rd, Tonkins asked the judge for a temporary restraining order against Burton Brown and the party. That request sat with the judge until February 9th. Switcheroo, it's always the darkest before the dawn. February 9th, just hours before the meeting on the credentialing committee, the judge threw out Tonkin's lawsuit, including the restraining order. The judge cited lack of jurisdiction, claiming that it was not able, not the role of the courts to engage in a party business. You can read the judge's order here. Burton Brown took a victory lap misrepresenting to the people that the judge had ruled against Tonkin's when in reality, the judge declined to rule at all. Team America first was reeling and Tonkin's resolved to abstain from the credentialing committee meeting and move ahead with the El Paso County Republicans meeting on Saturday. This would mean dueling county central committee meetings to elect party leadership. It would mean a divided party apparatus in the county and a dispute to be settled by the state central committee meeting in March. The dispute would be legitimate, but... During January 31st Zoom meeting, it had been determined that the Peak, Republican, Peak Republicans meeting would be the authoritative, authoritative event. Thus, the dispute would likely be resolved in their favor. For Team America First, the situation was dire. The big wheel, you got to spin to win. Remember how I said that the designation of the credentialing committee was most important outcome of the January 31st meeting? Make no mistake, the purpose of the February 9th credentialing committee meeting was an effort to manipulate the party's leadership vote on February 11th. The matter being debated and decided was the status of the 67 voting members that were legally appointed to El Paso County's Republican Party uh, leadership following the 2022 caucus. The status of those voting members elected at caucus was not in question, but those appointed after caucus were being challenged by the establishment. The El Paso County Republican Party bylaws absolutely allow the party leadership to appoint voting members into vacant roles. These 67 members were appointed by Tonkin's team, so the establishment had high confidence that they were not friendly nor sympathetic to the ongoing coup attempts of the peak Republicans. Despite their legal blow earlier that day, Team America first attended the meeting and at the last minute convinced Tonkins to, Tonkins to join as well. Parliamentarian Greg Carlson was providing over the presiding over the meeting and allowed Tonkins to participate and be recognized in the event intended to destroy her. During the credentialing committee, the establishment challenges were laughable. At one particularly humi humiliating moment, a peak Republican attempted to challenge the voting member status of a retired Border Patrol chief and former El Paso County Sheriff Todd Watkins. Watkins attended a meeting as an observer, but when his name was called, he asked the parliamentarian to be recognized and was he was allowed to speak. When he spoke, he said this, from what office are you attempting to remove me? Establishment, 
precinct committeeman. Watkins, would it surprise the committee that to find that I'm not a precinct precinct committeeman? Silence, then shuffling in the background establishment. Oh, it must be a bonus member. Watkins, would it further surprise the committee that I am not a bonus member? Silence. Watkins, I'm sitting in my office at home. Is that office you want me to remove me from? <laughs> the parliamentarian declared that any division leader that removed a voting member must do so on the record and provide explicit cause for their removal. In the end, the establishment was humiliated. Only two of the 67 appointed voting members were removed from their roles. With the El Paso County leadership elections less than 36 hours away, Team America First had their first glimmer of hope. And that's... When their strategy changed, showcase showdown. It wasn't easy to convince chairwoman Vicki Tonkins to abandon her meeting and attend the Peak Republicans County Central Community meeting. The level of corruption and overt process manipulation that occurred to bring about the Peak Republicans event made this a severe matter of principle. Had Tompkins held a competing meeting on February 11th, the determination of the future of the county's Republican Party would become a matter for the state central committee to be signed upon in March. After much debate, deliberation, and prayer, Tompkins listened to her team, and with 12 hours to go, the El Paso County Republicans changed course and called upon all voting members to attend the peak Republican event. This decision was not without risk. In, was not without risk. In fact, Team America First was agreeing to play on the establishment's home field with the establishment's home re referees. Excuse me, and the establishment's rules. Parliamentarian Greg Carlson presided over the meeting. 444 voting members credentialed into the event. It was an absolute massacre. Vicki Tonkins was re-elected chairwoman of the county party. Todd Watkins was elected vice chair. And Andrea Kuva, Andriana, Adriana Kuva was elected as the secretary. All voting members at the state central committee level were won by Team America First. Additionally, the good guys swept five Senate, House, and County Commissioner districts and secured a nuke-proof majority among the bonus members, securing 23 of the 28 offices. When reached for comment, the always classy Chairwoman Tonkins shared with me, quote, one of the things that many of our central committee members have said to me is, we will play the game that KBB started and let's win it all on their turf by their rules and with their chosen people running everything. I ran nothing on Saturday. I didn't find it interesting. I did find it interesting that they did exactly what I do with paper ballots and counting in front of the crowd. I do, uh, let's see. I do want to give kudos to Gregory, Gregory Carlson in, the, in running the meeting. I also want to give equal kudos to the parliamentarian Kevin Tabato who helped keep Carlson on point. I want to also thank Cheryl Glasgow, the former secretary for all her hard work and how she was graceful in competing for her duties. I am so proud of the hard work. Many of the members of the County Republic County central committee, they have worked almost two years to build the Republican party in El Paso County. I'm a fortunate woman to have the privilege to lead such an amazing people. I look forward to working with two great Republicans, vice chair, Todd Watkins and secretary, Adriana Kuva. Keep in mind that chairwoman Tonkins has been persecuted and attacked by these people since she first was elected to her post as the only black female GOP chairs in the country. She, uh, she has been on the receiving end of some pretty vile tactics from the establishment. Like I said, she's always classy. The establishment suffered a humiliating defeat on their own turf with their own rules and their own refs. Better yet, 
The decision to engage and win on the peak Republicans' turf makes it nearly impossible for Burton Brown and the establishment to revoke El Paso County Party Charter and award it to the peak Republicans. They just don't have the support. They don't have the votes. The big winner, America first. As I said at the beginning of the story, I never believed that the precinct strategy would be successful. Certainly, the establishment is fighting the will of of the people every step of the way in Colorado and around the country. And nowhere is that more evident than in El Paso County. But through the persistence of of Team America First, I am happy to say that I was wrong. (laughs) Over the past two years, and certainly in the past few months, All odds appeared stacked against the people of El Paso County. The swamp is deep here, and they spared no expense or tactic to disrupt and demoralize the efforts of the America First populists. With resolve and great faith, Team America First leaned in, put their shoulder into the wheel, and defeated the establishment on their own turf. The good guys won. The people won. What happens in Colorado spreads across the nation. Usually, that's not a good thing. As a fraud test kitchen never stops baking, baking, usually Colorado activists are screaming warnings to the nation. But in this latest victory of the El Paso County America First Patriots, Colorado activists want to encourage the nation. We played on their turf. We proved that America First is the majority. The gaslight to convince the people otherwise is strong and overwhelming, but the truth will always come out, always. In the words of Donald J. Trump, we will not bend, we will not break, we will not yield, we will never give in, we will never give up, we will never back down, we will never surrender. The Colorado right has delivered a priceless message to those engaged in preaching strategies across the nation. Don't give up. Play to win, and you will see the victory. Keep moving forward, Patriots. The best is yet to come. Ashton America with a great substack today reminding us that local action really will and is going to have national impact. Great article today by Ashton America. Please do me a favor. Spread that far and wide. We, we got to take the wins when we can get them. Right, Jane? Right, Hunter Dub? Right, Twitch crowd? We got to take those wins and and enjoy them and and cherish them and remind ourselves that that's what this is all about. We forgot how to play the game. It is our responsibility as Americans to take control of our country, and that is what's happening all around the world, and it's not an accident. Okay, I have 20 articles to get through and no time left, so rapid fire coming your way. Oh, I already went through some of these. Never mind. (laughs) Uh, let's see. NSA recruiter accidentally tells the unvarnished truth about what the agency does. (laughs) The spy agency is currently one of the largest hiring sprees in 30 years. All right. It makes sense if you're the NSA. International intelligence gathering is essential, and so as long as the NSA stays within that realm, they're a necessary asset for national security. But it's a little bit more worrisome when the NSA starts actively reaching out to technology workers through social media outlets like LinkedIn and job boards such as Glassdoor. That's what they started doing last fall when the word came out of big tech companies like Meta and Amazon were getting rid of tens of thousands of skilled workers. So, of course, they went to Big tech to come join the NSA. NSA senior talent manager, strategist, management strategist, Christine Parker said that the agency took notice of the layoff predictions and jumped at the opportunity. In an interview with the Times, NSA started reaching out through LinkedIn and some of the other places, quote unquote. Um, 
Parker said nearly 30,000 people looked at NSA job postings and about 2,000 people applied. NSA's Deputy Director of Workforce uh, supports activities. Um, Silicon Valley knows how to, how to spy domestically, and they're very good at it. It makes them makes wonder why NSA is so interested in hiring people with the Silicon Valley skill set. Oh, well, your companies are all uh, crashing and burning because of our efforts. Well, come on back and work for us. Manufactured evidence planted at the Rike Tario to frame him and other Proud Boys in defense. Defense alleges, court filing alleges outrageous government misconduct with a key document. I'm trying to tell everybody around the world to hold their judgment on all this stuff because just like the rest, this has been a complete and total setup. Is it really good that these people are being, just, their lives are being destroyed, Mr. Just Human, my friend? No, it's not. I hope you retract your statement. The main, um, the, the main uh, document entitled 1776 Returns that federal prosecutors contend is the blueprint for the Proud Boys to attack the Capitol on January 6th. That document was messaged to Tario, although defense attorneys say there is no evidence he opened it, read it, or forwarded it. In fact, it was given to them from a government asset. That's right. A government asset wrote the whole document that then the prosecution used to destroy Enrique Tario and the rest of the Proud Boys. I hope Just Human gets the word and starts to learn a little more about how our government works with uh, regards to the Department of Justice. Thousands protest outside the Israel parliament against judicial reforms. Huge protests, not just in Israel today, but also in Paris uh, and several other countries all around the world too as well. So keep an eye on that out there. Attorney General Andrew Bailey has a four-minute read in uh, that I don't have time to get to today, but talking about the uh, transgender agenda and how he used to um, give kids these cross-sex hormones, and now he has a whistleblower um, that has uh, come to come forward to the Attorney General Andrew Bailey to discuss the truth about the horrific trans agenda that's destroying kids in our country right now. Thanks to Trump's anti-sex trafficking policies, 368 were arrested in a human trafficking sweep. No question about it. Thanks to President Trump making history. 368 people were arrested and 131 victims were saved on February 1st through Operation Reclaim and Rebuild in California, which we did cover in the beginning of February. But just a little highlight to President Trump there. DHS, Obama Stasi hiring outside legal counsel ahead of Apostle Mayorkas impeachment. That coming to us today from the Department of Homeland Security. Outside uh, lawyers, huh? A little bit of concern there about the... Uh, you're not doing your job there, Mayorkas? Huh? A little bit worried? Alrighty then. More to come on that. <laughs> um, how smart home devices like doorbells and thermostats are allowing hackers to commit digital burglaries and what you can do to shore up your security. A really good article in today's Daily Mail. So many people using different kind of smartphone and smart devices, smart cameras, all that, the rest of that stuff. All is just being used to monitor your activities, but um, there's not really a whole lot of things you can do out there to change those things, but there is some stuff that you can do. I'll get that article out there to you guys on social media just after the show. The owner of the coffee shop covered in love is love and pride flags. 
is arrested, accused of heinous crimes against children. This is coming to us from West Virginia. The coffee shop owner has been arrested and charged with sexual crimes against children. Michael Klein, 47, was arrested on child pornography and sexual assault charges, according to Huntington Wowak TV. Uh, Klein is the owner of Hot Cup Coffee in Logan, West Virginia, which, of course, had pride flags and everything else in front of it. There's the picture of it there. Um, he has been arrested and charged with child pornography and the rest. There you go. That's pretty much the summary of what I got for you guys today. Let me check in with President Trump today, see if he's, in, he's got anything going on. Two hours ago, sorry, football fans, because the Super Bowl was held in Arizona. The results of the game after the lengthy analysis currently taking place of the holding call will not be known for like for at least four weeks. Thank you for paying your attention to this matter, and I hope you thoroughly enjoyed the game. I <laughs> uh, saw several people out there with uh, – Jokes like that going on out there today. Uh, we don't expect the results. I think Seth Cashel had a couple of them too. We don't expect the results of the, of the because it's in Arizona, to be for a few days. <laughs> uh, let's see. A couple quick things here. Statism destroying real wages. Yes, it is. Natural gas slides. Um, Kanakoa had the uh, summary of what we talked about last Monday put out there in a Substack today. So if you want to catch that all into one Substack, Kanakoa put everything we that we uh, all the information that we put out there into a Substack today. So good work on his part to get that out there. Um, dead animals in Ohio area. Um, breaking nine one one. U.S. Marshals capture eight hundred fugitives during Operation North Star. Um, interesting. That's put out there for by breaking nine one one just now, and from police frequency. Dog escaped the new owners. Um, nothing. That's about it. All right, guys. Thanks for being here today. I appreciate you all very much, Tori. I hope you're feeling better. Everyone out there that uh, helped out with the gold pills today, thank you all very much. I appreciate you all. Abolitionist boys blank. Smalls, Pauly, Mez, Ohio Patriot, Toria, Popcorn Q, Sloan TV, and who cares? Thank you guys all for being here today for the 4617 uh, Gold Pills today. I appreciate you all very much for the love, support, and prayers. Y'all are amazing patriots, and I appreciate you all very much. I'm, um, I'm struggling big time. If you, can, if you can help me out in any kind of way, I appreciate you all very much. Thank you all for being here today. Lady Bird, much love to you. Thank you for being here today. Have a great night. And everyone over there on Twitch, thanks for being here today, guys. Let me see if I can find anyone to raid for you guys. And that's a uh, nope. All right, guys. Thanks for being here today, guys. And the Rumble Crowd coming in strong today. Thank you guys very much. Sausage Launcher, J- Launcher D- JD Rich, Jackass in the House, Knock My Socks Off, Helios, Chris. Thank you all for being out there today. All the lurkers as well. Much love to you all. Thanks for being here today. Do me a favor on your way out. Hit that plus button, please. Thank you guys very much for being here and joining me here today. Everyone, all the other lurkers on all the other platforms as well. Thank you all for being here today. And with that, I want to say much love and God bless you all. See you guys back here tomorrow for another edition of Uncensored Day, where we bring you the news that you need to see, not the shiny objects that everyone's talking about. Much love and God bless you. Treat the word impossible as nothing more than motivation. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. Embrace that label. Being an outsider is fine. Embrace the label. Because it's the outsiders who change the world and who make a real and lasting difference.